You're listening to Nightlight Radio Network. This is Dr. Bob Hieronymus, co-host of 21st Century Radio. We are happy to present this rebroadcast of our show on Nightlight. Well, for over 40 years, a major part of my life has been researching the involvement of secret societies and the creation of the United States of America. And during the late 60s and early 70s, there was a complete dismissal by the establishment's historical researchers of secret societies having, well, they said basically they didn't have anything at all to do with America's founding. Well, I think they were a little bit wrong there. Well, however, it wasn't until 1974 that I began publishing my research only because no one else would challenge the establishment historians about the importance of the secret societies that they believed of, that had little or no value. And, yeah, who did we challenge? We challenged the State Department, the Department of the Interior, and the White House. But by 1976, President Ford used my research in one of his bicentennial speeches. And by 1981, I completed my doctoral thesis at uh, Saybrook Graduate School, and uh, which was uh, basically reprinted in the congressional record repeatedly. And believe it or not, in 1982, President Reagan took an interest, and by 1984 to 86, Zahara and I were nearly successful in having a die cut for the reverse of America's Great Seal. Reagan was for it, as were Senators Barbara Mikulski, Don Edwards, Charles MacMathias. But all those efforts came to naught because of fundamentalism and fundamentalist conspiratorialists who had, were convinced... They actually were convinced, uh, and they had the Republicans at that time convinced that the reverse of the Great Seal was a symbol of Satan. And in 1989, Destiny Books published my work, America's Secret Destiny, which included the importance of the League of the Iroquois uh, Nations, influence on the Founding Fathers. Nearly 20 years later, Founding Fathers, Secret Societies, Destiny Books, and United Symbolism of America by New Page Book came out to uh, counter the misinformation found in the works of Dan Brown, National Treasure, which were not meant to be historical works, but entertainment. But, <laughs> but a lot of folks on the Internet didn't think that. Uh, but there's still, again, no mention of the importance of the League of the Iroquois on the Founding Fathers, and that may take uh, other researchers in Hollywood another decade to write about. That's unfortunate. It really is. But today, there are a growing number of responsible researchers who have made contributions to a re-examination of America's symbols and those who created them. Fortunately, having worked with... Uh, the History, National Geographic, and Discovery Channels, as well as uh, the British, German, and Russian television. Yeah, I know you haven't seen the British, German, and Russian TV stuff yet. Uh, maybe they'll send it over here. We'll see about that. I have been able to recommend many authors, and in a matter of weeks uh, and months, you'll be able to view them and more pieces of this uh, mysterious puzzle. Uh, talking about this particular research, America's Secret Destiny. And in a few weeks, we begin again with Canadian TV and their special on America's symbols and their meaning. And a couple of months ago, I had the privilege of reviewing a to-be-released book that we are going to discuss this hour. It's called The Secrets of Masonic Washington, a guidebook to signs, symbols, and ceremonies at the origin of America's capital. And it's by James Wasserman and published by Destiny Books. 
I enjoyed this immensely, not only uh, because it was very much needed, but, as usual, James Wasserman's scholarship and insistence on accuracy will make this book that a kind of book that anyone visiting D.C. should have. I, you know, I'm going to be using it when I hang out with the Canadian crew in a couple of weeks. I'm going to be pointing to it. I'm going to be showing it because this book is not, it's just beautifully laid out. It's got great information, that's true, but it is, uh, from an aesthetic point of view, it's heavenly. Hey, I guess that's not very uh, scientific, is it? <laughs> but it's, it's layout and design, full-color photographs, maps. They are so carefully positioned that it will reintroduce you to our nation's capital in a way that will re-inspire your faith and love of America. Now, James Wasserman is author of the best-selling The Templars and Assassins, the Militia, the Militia of Heaven, The Mysterious Traditions, and Illustrated History of Knights Templar, and The Slaves Shall Serve, Meditations on Liberty, a longtime student of the cult sciences, a member of the secret order, Ordo Temple Orientis since 1976, and he lives in New York City. Um, James and his wife, Nancy, who is the author of Yoga for Magic. As a matter of fact, even in this particular book, I believe Rachel Wasserman, I guess, I guess that must be his daughter assisted in one of her photographs. It's almost like a family production, but it's more than that. He's joined us several times in recent years. Welcome back to 21st Century Radio, James. Hi, Bob. What a pleasure. Thank you so much for your kind introduction. Hey, was it Rachel? Is she your daughter? Rachel is my daughter, and she took the most amazing photo of the Jefferson Memorial. It was just like one of those wonderful things. Yep, that's the reason why I wanted to mention that. It's uh, you know, it's just so wonderful to see uh, a family that is geared towards that kind of this kind of enjoying life from that that perspective. It's very rare in this country. Of course, I'm sure you're aware of that. Now, congratulations on such a superb guidebook. You note that. Washington, D.C. is the central, central shrine of America's national religion. What do you mean by that? What is our national religion? Well, uh, Bob, let me, if I may, let me start out by thanking you for uh, your research and, and your contribution to the book. Not only did you correct some of my errors, uh, thank God, before it went to press, um, but you also uh, inspired me with, with uh, you know the integrity of your research. Um, oh, thank you. And and um, you know what I mean by America's religion is um, the the concept of individual liberty, uh, the concept that our rights come from God, and the concept that with us government is designed to stay out of the way of our rights and actually stay out of the way of our creativity, allowing us to function unhindered and unhampered by um, interference from, you know, um, our leaders. It's a very humble form of government, and it could only have been established by and for a free and moral people. Well, the uh, the Freemasonry itself, I think, is grossly misunderstood by so many people. But you have done an extra, and just and just, I guess maybe it's fifteen or twenty pages. 
you have been able to summarize with gorgeous illustrations. I mean, this is this is has to be one of uh, Inner Traditions and Destiny Books' most beautiful of all publications. They they pulled out all the stops and and uh, and, and obviously. Uh, if it weren't you writing this book, I don't think that would have happened. I know I don't expect you to comment on that, but but you know the quality of your research and and uh, and how it's uh, so well received than uh, the rest of the planet must have in, in part convinced them that I don't know how many color pages you got in here. It must, you know that costs a great deal, and the way you laid it out. Um, I wish we could spend time on that because I just love design of books. But this is just, it, it, it's over the top from that standpoint. And, you know, I think... You know, it's so, it's so much fun that we share the same publisher and, and uh, you know, that we share this, you know, kind of respect for, for Ahud Sperling and, and, you know, Jeannie Levitan and crew Cynthia Fowles. They're just, like, really wonderful people. And they've just, you know, they're so... Uh, encouraging of of your work and mine and it's just it's great you know i love the covers that that they've done for your books look really good i think and uh you know it's just it's it's a lot of fun working with them and and it's not it's not just the layout i've got friends look i gotta tell you you got go to when you go to the back of this you know see take a look at the director of directory of sites i mean uh, you know, there there are ways to find certain pieces of information repeatedly in different ways, uh, which means that when I'm standing there in, in 18 degrees in Washington D.C. pointing <laughs> to something, I can and you know the book is if you if you would have made this book too small, uh, it would have been impossible uh, to to uh, be able to read like that. I mean, it's the whole thing from A to Z. Uh, a bunch of Virgos must have done this book. Is all I can say. Uh, well, you know, I did. I did most of the photo- <laughs> most of the photography you did in that. February of last year, and it was the wind was blowing so hard it was a miracle <laughs> I could even stand up. I mean, it was just incredible. Well, touching on Freemasonry, tell us a little bit about uh, Freemasonry from the standpoint of what it really is all about. Well, you know, it's a mystery school, obviously. I think we both we both agree with that. Um, I think what what makes it so interesting is that it, it, it really is a kind of spiritualized voice of the Enlightenment. And, you know, that to me makes it so appealing because during the period of the Enlightenment, European society moved you know, away from from the uh, horrific uh, shackles of superstition and um, the uh, uh, the powers of of, of the uh, kingship and hereditary lo- uh, royalty, the the iron death grip of aristocracy on the population, and and they really started to break through with some new ideas. And, and the concept of, you know, things like the consent of the governed and the rights of man, the political rights and uh, equality of the sexes, the um, importance of education, the, um, 
acceptance of science as opposed to superstition. Uh, you know, people like Gal- you know, Galileo and Giordano Bruno, it wasn't too long before that that they were either imprisoned or, or executed for their scientific researches. The Enlightenment was an amazing um, bursting forth of the creativity of the European soul. But it lacked spirituality. You know, it lacked that fundamental sense of awe and and beauty at God's will and that whole mysterious process by which we celebrate the divine, you know? And, and in that sense, it was lacking. It was dry. It didn't have everything that was needed for, you know, a successful program for a, for a, a really aware person. And masonry added that. It added the spiritual dimension within the Enlightenment freedom. At least that's the way I see it. No, I think you're right. I like that phrase you use, spiritualized voice of the Enlightenment, because, um, you know, Enlightenment was basically a part of separation of church and state being really key. But then what happens after you separate them, you know? (laughs) Right. Then you could you could be taken over by something else. That could, Absolutely. So, but the Enlightenment, you say, was uh, actually not an event, but a way of thinking. Absolutely, it was sort of the, it was a development from you know what we would call the Renaissance, and and a development from you know the Protestant Reformation and the whole Rosicrucian movement of you know the earlier period. I I trace a lot of this um, development to the Knights Templar and the Crusades, uh, you know, during during that period, because that's when it really started to break apart, I think, during the Crusades, when we became so closely intertwined with, you know, Oriental cultures. Um, I think Europe lost its 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 isolation and, and the kind of barbarianism that, that had been so prevalent, and you know, it, it just developed and developed. Now, a lot, a lot of people say and believe that masonry dates back at least to the Templars and the Crusades. Um, I don't know that I totally accept that, but I certainly uh, b- believe it's quite possible that early, early forms of masonry could trace back to the Knights Templar, escape Knights Templar. Mm-hmm. But but that's speculation. You know, we don't really know. What we do know is that in, what was it, 1650 or something, Elias Ashmole joined the Masonic Lodge, and he was not a stone worker. Mm-hmm. And as far as we know, he was the first one to do so in, in England. Well, I like this section very much. Uh, I think a lot of individuals will really understand Freemasonry a lot better in, in just a good 10, 15 pages. And I've, you know, and I've... I've just like you, I've read a lot of books in this area, but they've never been that succinct in being able to specifically say where the changes and when the plant changes took place. Now, we're going to take our first break of the hour. When we come back, we're going to talk about the social effects of masonry. And this, this too, friends, is, is one of those particular topics that is, are usually not discussed in most of the works that I've read dealing 
with this particular area. Our guest is James Wasserman, The Secrets of Masonic Washington, a guidebook to signs, symbols, and ceremonies at the origin of America's capital. It's published by Inner Traditions and Destiny Books, 1-800-246-8648. Please go to James Wasserman, spelled W-A-S-S-E-R-M-A-N, books.com. James, have you had enough time to study up on the social effects of masonry? Well, sure. You know, there were quite a few, weren't there? <laughs> sure were, yes. <laughs> you know, you kind of... Uh, I, I was thinking about the... Um, you know, just just the effects it had in the early colonial economy uh, of, of America. You know, it, it made such a, a difference for... Uh, people to be able to travel to strange places, you know, doing business, engaging in commerce, manufacture, and and trade, and and be able to find people that they could more or less trust and know that they shared common ideals together with perfect strangers, um, and generally receive hospitality. Uh, and and a whole lot of other stuff. I think it was a, a, what I found was a tremendous um, vibrancy that masonry played in in early America. I'll say, with the founding of educational institutions and the and and the other work. I mean, uh, you know, when I think of Freemasonry, I can't help but think of Uncle Ben Franklin and the the, uh, the U.S. Post Office and. And uh, the water systems, the lighting systems. I mean, these are the things that Freemasonry were was so important, and especially in regards to the founding of this country. I mean, you got to have safe uh, streets to walk in, friends, or else you. <laughs> and we had some pretty messy streets during that time period, to say the least. As you refer to, you know, the swampiness of that particular of uh, Washington D.C. Um, now, the. I was astounded to learn. I did not realize before I started this book that uh, Franklin was such an was such uh, an anti-slavery uh, guy. Yeah, I, I didn't know how powerfully he he in particular felt against slavery and and how carefully he had designed a program for liberation and education of of former slaves um, if he had been able to be successful in that. Well, you know, I know I know that uh, his relationship with the League of the Iroquois lectured on him, lectured to him on that. They basically said to the founding fathers, "There's two things you got to do, uh, besides uh, other things that they discussed. One is uh, re- to uh, uh, eliminate slavery and to have women uh, involved in politics." And that, of course, we rejected both of those. Well, we, you know, I, I tend to think, you know, this is kind of an argument of the glass being half full or half empty. I think what what, have, what happened at that time, Bob, and, and you know, you, you, you're certainly very familiar with the tensions that were existing then. You know, we were at war, and we needed to get everyone working together toward the same end, and that end was actual physical survival. You know, against against bullets and cannonballs and and fire and and troops and I I think that some of the issues like slavery, some of the arguments that I know that we've both read, where um, 
you know, in the Continental Congress and, and later on where they were pleading to end slavery, just pleading and, and saying how, how God would punish America if we did not free the slaves. But in order to get that mutual pact of self-defense, compromises needed to be made, and those uh, social advances were put on the back burner. And you know what? We succeeded. Not only did we succeed in ending slavery, but we helped to end it throughout the entire world. That's, that's absolutely correct. I think that's one of the important, uh, most important things about the founding of this nation as acting as a guide for the rest of the planet and republic for, republic forms of government. Um, why do you believe, no, we're going to be running out of time if I don't get on the walking tour. Because <laughs> that's the most, that is the fun, as my daughter used to say, the funnest part uh, of this. I, I got to just say, if I may, by the way, add one, one other thing, Bob, is that you were the person who um, taught me about the Iroquois um, Alliance. I, I had no awareness of that before I read it from you. Well, we're we're trying to get Hollywood involved, and uh, yes, we know that they're going to mess it up one way or the other. <laughs> but but at least, I mean, you know, uh, the the documentation is overwhelming uh, since 1990. I mean, even President, our first President Bush, Bush one, uh, supported uh, that particular philosophy. Rush Limbaugh got very angry at him uh, because of that. Uh, because Rush, Rush Limbaugh kept saying basically that the these were just no these were savages and what the heck they didn't they didn't invent any cars airplanes or TVs so what what good are they and that's uh, uh, really uh, really it certainly has slowed things down as far as radio talk shows go anyway but uh, this is called Masonic Washington why do you call it Masonic Washington well we were you know we were we were trying to uh give a context for what I called earlier you know the the uh, national religion of america mm-hmm. uh, it, it, you know masonry is non denominational it's the kind of thing that uh exists throughout the world that can be uh hindus or or Muslims or uh Jews or Christians Catholics Protestants. Any denomination, what is required is a belief in God. And I think that, um, you know, in my book, of course, I talk about, uh, you know, some of the American Indian Masons and, um, uh, you know, the Black Masons. And Masonry is an all-inclusive ideal. And the relationship between the esoteric symbolism and the spiritual destiny of America, which you know you've you've dealt with so much, um, is is just you know they're totally entwined. In other words, how do we explain the symbols? Uh, I, I personally am not a Mason, so why would I call it Masonic? Well, I call it Masonic because Masonry has been a fundamental under, underpinning of, of American society um, since you know sixteen seventeen hundred. And if you take a look, especially we're going to touch on some of the buildings within the mall, uh, there is a very large percentage of, of those who designed the, the various buildings that were Freemasons. There's no question about that whatsoever. Nope. The architects, the designers, uh, uh, one right after the other, right up to the, you know, the uh, Mellon was, uh, was the yes, Freemasons. Yeah. 
all over the place. Well, let's get on a little bit of that walking tour before we have to take our break within five or six minutes. Now, there's a section uh, dealing with a walking tour of the Capitol. It's, it's, it's truly exceptional, not only because of the research, but, but the way it's laid out. I mean, this is truly one of the, a guidebook. Uh, which is you know, a lot of people talk about stuff like that, but you know, I, I was just so impressed by the way this was laid out. It's functional, it's useful, uh, and I can't wait to start showing it to the Canadian TV people in a couple of weeks. Maybe they'll give you a call on this. I hope that's my reason for doing that. But but I want them to be able to see that yes, indeed, there is reliable research that goes through all of these different sections. So let's take a little bit of time on this little tour here. The Capitol area. Um, boy, what treasure trove of esoteric and Masonic symbolism do we find uh, in in this in this area we, you call the Capitol area? Well, you know, we start out in in my book with that phenomenal statue of Garfield, President James Garfield, right? Yeah. And he was uh, a Mason. He was a president. He was a member of Congress, and he was a military uh, leader. Uh, his his particular blending of of those three aspects of patriotism, I think, uh, speaks so highly of masonry. And if you look at the imagery of of that statue, you know, you find that we're dealing with mythology. We're dealing with, um, you know, this kind of breathtaking. Astrolabe thing. I don't. I don't show the astrolabe too, too closely because I didn't. I didn't have room for it. But you know, you see the scholar, the warrior, and the legislator. Yeah. Yeah. And and you see this magnificent sense of 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 readiness, of of seriousness, and of 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 fairness. You know, of uh, this this sense that people are entitled to a government in which they have a voice. And in which there's a process of integrity. We have the three graces in the Bartholdi Fountain. What an amazing uh, statue that is, and and designed by the uh, sculptor of the Statue of Liberty. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, no. the, just breathtaking. The Bartholdi. You have things within here that I'm certain that most other individuals who have looked at this uh, area didn't consider. The the Bartholdi Fountain. For example, um, the the whole section you have dealing on the uh, apotheosis of Washington by uh, the artist Constantino Brumidi, um, and that was in 1865. Uh, that that uh, could you tell us a little bit about what is being said there in the dome? The this huge 4,000, uh, I think it was 4,700 square feet. Something like that. Yeah, it, it's exactly. It's just. It's just amazing, and, and I know that you've seen it so many times yourself. It's got. It's got a archetypal uh, celebration of the facets of civilization that that go to make success. You know, I point out that we have. Um, well, we have war, Colombia, or armed freedom. Uh, obviously, an important part of, of security. We have science. Uh, we have Neptune showing uh, the control of the seas. We have uh, Mercury. 
you know, with his speedy commerce or all around the world. We have Vulcan uh, teaching us to build and to craft. We have Ceres teaching us how to uh, raise crops and feed our people. Uh, these surround this beautiful image of, of Washington ascending to heaven, you know, surrounded by, by the 13 states, surrounded by these graceful figures that are just putting out so much potent spiritual energy toward a man who recognized the divine intervention in the founding and establishment and survival of America. And uh, just all of this is below the uh, dome. And uh, my favorite statue of all. And who is that? Who is that? Your favorite statue? Yeah. What do you think my favorite statue is? Well, I'm wondering if it's the car of history, or or no. if it's going to be, or if it's going to be uh, uh, armed armed liberty. Armed liberty. It is. I I yeah. do it. Okay, because yeah. yeah. she has the Indian headdress. Oh <laughs> yes, with that eagle on the. Uh, <laughs> just it's a, this whole. You have other pieces of information here that I think a lot of people would uh, love to know, such as, you know, after uh, after the creation of uh, the, um, the of the Statue of Freedom uh, by Crawford on top of the Capitol, uh, she was like nineteen and a half feet tall. Right, and then right. You, and then you note that no other statue uh, was going to be is allowed to be over nineteen feet. The reason why I, uh, I was so excited about that because I didn't put it all all together. But I, when I was at the Jefferson Memorial and they stopped him at nineteen feet, mm. I believe you know. And I thought, what? <laughs> <laughs> and I saw these patterns. You know, it's only when you look at the repeated symbolism over and over, and it's like a book. Washington D.C. is like a book it's a, it's like a movie it's it's like so many things that come to life about uh about our great nation and I mean, just extraordinary stuff now we need to take a break and when we do we're going to come back we're going to go to one of my other favorite ones. Very few people talk about this at the union station we're going to talk about the victim of communism uh piece uh, just extraordinary uh, because of our links to to uh, some of the individuals that partook in Tiananmen Square, and uh, some of them, of course, lost their life. And, of course, the statue lost its life, too, after about, I think, I think it only lasted six or seven days. But we'll be back with our guest, James Wasserman, The Secrets of Masonic Washington, a guidebook to signs, symbols, and ceremonies at the origin of America's capital. Inner Traditions uh, published it. This is Dr. Sally Ryan Feather, the daughter of Dr. J.B. and Louisa Ryan that started the ESP research at Duke University. And I have just appeared on the Bob Hieronymus show. I think this kind of radio does so much for the public. It brings them information where they can get no other way. James, we're taking a look here at the Union Station section. And uh, I'd like to talk uh, you to talk about the Victim of Communism Memorial. Now, the reason why this is so close to us here at 21st Century Radio is I did a mural called Little Help from Our Friends and we put one of the Chinese who literally were standing in front of those tanks fortunately he didn't get run over like some of the others but he did got locked up and beat up for a number of years Lu Gong 
And uh, every time I see this statue, I just it, it really touches me deeply. Tell, please tell us about it. Well, you know, um, let me tell you that uh, I, I heard about the statue when it was being erected. At the time that it, it came up, I didn't even they didn't even have a map of it, you know. So I I, I went. I finally did get a kind of an address for it and was like searching around like a nut asking everybody I could see on the street if they knew where it was. No one knew it. I think it's the first time it's been in a book that I know of at least. And it's this kind of small but beautiful statue of a woman holding a torch, very reminiscent of the Statue of Liberty. And what it is is a copy of the uh, 33-foot statue that was erected in Tiananmen Square in 1989 by the students. They made it of styrofoam and paper mache over a metal armature. And uh, this one, of course, is, is made of bronze. It's, it's a real statue. What's fun about this one is it, was, it celebrates President Reagan's uh, tear down this wall speech. The authorizing legislation was, was signed by President Clinton and the statue was dedicated by President Bush just last year. So it's, it really brings Democrats and Republicans, uh, conservatives and liberals together in, a, in an amazing way. And, um, you know, the students uh, were putting forth what I would call a prayer that, that one day the, the Chinese people themselves could erect a monument of freedom in 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 their hearts first, and then in a in a real statue that would survive the tanks later, and and this this statue is the most inspiring memento to the ideal of human freedom that that I've seen, and at the same time, it's a very important acknowledgement of the absolute horrors of the communist tyrannies that um, littered literally the 20th century. And thank you for that last paragraph telling us just how horror-filled, you know, 100 million victims of communism. Uh, Ukrainians starved to death in Stalin's Great Famine. The Russians killed in Stalin's Purge. Uh, uh, the, uh, the, the, the Lithuanians, Latvians, and Estonians loaded into, into cattle cars, deported to the Arctic, Arctic friends, death camps of Soviet... I'm, I'm just amazing. Amazing. I'm so glad you put that in there. Uh, I'm and so now, happy that you're pointing this out, Bob. It's, it's really... Uh, it's a very unknown little thing, and I just hope that through this show and your excitement and, and my putting it in here, it becomes an important shrine to lovers of freedom. Well, friends, uh, when you get a copy of this book, go to page 105. You'll find out exactly where it's located, right next to the Georgetown Law Center and the superintendent of documents and uh, and across from the National Postal Museum. Wow. On and new- it's a lot smaller than it looks in my book, no. Bob, as you well know. <laughs> All right, okay. All right, so it's a lot smaller, but I mean, that's the wonderful thing. And the, the publisher and yourself had the wisdom that when you're pointing something out and you're putting a map down there, you change the color of that particular area so that you can see it and it stands out. I mean, that's that's the thing, the subtlety of the each page, the way it's laid out from the very top to the bottom where they give the page number and the Masonic symbols up there. I mean... Uh, it's just wonderful. Color-coded, 
um, you know, it's the kind of thing that a top-notch publisher with a top-notch uh, uh, author really deserves that kind of thing, and seldom gets. Because well, of, you you just mentioned the name Jeannie Levitan, and that's one of the that's one of the uh, heroes heroines of this book. Okay, she was just the most magnificent editor, and and really really helped to present this in a coherent way to all of us. Um, I am just amazed at the numerous full color pages. There's full color pages throughout. That's this is rare. This is truly rare, um, especially in, in this particular topic. This is done up in a, a really quality way. And now um, the federal triangle, we need to touch on that. Yes, we're running out of time, but, but the federal triangle, uh, tell us why it's called as such and, and, and where do we find it? Um, yeah, on page 115, friends, if you uh, are psychic, take a look at this one, 115, page 115 there. Well, you know, it's right in the um, it's right in the center of the of the kind of governmental hub. It, it's part of it's formed by the radiating arms of the of the uh, essential street design of the city, and it it's the home of of kind of like the bureaucracy, I guess you could say, right? Yeah. And it it um, the IRS building is there, the uh, uh, Department of Commerce and Interstate. Uh, Commerce Commission um, and the uh, uh, National Archives are also there. We've got the old post office there. It, it's it's and and now the uh, the new Ronald Reagan uh, Tr International Trade Center is there as well. And it's got the most astounding metaphysical symbolism. You know that I, I mean, my mind was blown. It's got fire, air, earth, and water. It's got mythological creatures, winged horses, angelic beings. Mm, yeah. It's got these magnificent astrological uh, symbols and, and these ancient archetypal, uh, archetypal wisdom symbols, the history and, 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 uh, and uh, the future. You know, unbelievable. Well, I also got a. I really appreciate when you did the four elements uh, and you explained the four elements and their importance. This is rarely done, friends. It really is. And then you illustrated it not just with uh, uh, one of the pediments, but uh, that showed all four elements, but but others, uh, which really got the point across. I, I, you know, Bob, I couldn't believe they were there. I was looking at them. I was just going, "This just can't be." It's it's amazing. I mean, I'd seen some of it in books and research myself. You know, I had done a lot of work prior to my going there, but when I was actually looking at it and taking the pictures and seeing the intricacy of these things, it just it seemed like it was remarkable. It, it was just a breathtaking because you have the tarot the Kabbalah, alchemy, you've got every single aspect of the occult. Uh, astrology is resumed within the, within the four elements. Well, that's one of these. This is such a beautiful work. Uh, I'm sorry to say so many nice things about it, friends. I know you're tired of hearing about it, but the thing is, is that this is the best there is, period. And I can't wait to put one of these in the hands of David Ovison. He's going to love this. Oh, his book was so helpful to me. The, uh, his, his book was 
so helpful, and and I I really wish that you would extend my thanks to him because he he did a magnificent job in 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 his work. Well, he's going to say the same thing to you, uh, because uh, this is exactly how a book like this needed to be done, and the kind of care in the time, you know, with infinite patience and and all that kind of thing. And when you did when you did the various zodiacs. Uh, and there were <laughs> there were hundreds of them uh, throughout Washington D.C. You were the the idea of putting them um, in order. I think was in, uh, super important because they're not always in order uh, when, when they're on various monuments. But when you see them on the various gates, and that it makes it much easier to see the various various ways they use to depict. All of that. Uh, there, there's so much. Friends are just so much in here. I, I would love to have gotten to the Federal Reserve, Reserve and National Academy of Sciences. And then you have a memorial to Albert Einstein. You have great photographs of, of Einstein and uh, I've, the celestial objects that are accurately positioned by astronomers. I think you had this something like 2,500 of those. Uh, uh, the, Right, there's actually there's yeah. 2,700, and 2700. it's the largest zodiac in the world. Just extraordinary. Yeah, yeah. One, uh, uh, we're box. about, we're almost out of time, but I want to give. Can we give them 30 seconds on this? Uh, what's your vision of the future of America? Well, my prayer is that we reclaim that spirit of moral rectitude and integrity, of self-reliance and a visionary spirit which flowed from the pen of, of Thomas Jefferson, from the heart of, of George Washington, from the mind of John Adams, from the, from the blood and, and tears and sweat of those who built this country with no help no interference from government. Well, unfortunately, we're out of time, but I'll talk to you again. And friends, see you next week. 21st Century Radio is produced by Hieronymus and Company. Our executive producer and research assistant is Laura Cortner. I'm Dr. Bob Hieronymus. And remember, shine your shoes and get a haircut.